Welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commutes. I'm Aaron Stump, and we have just started Chapter 3 of the podcast, talking about the Curry-Howard isomorphism. And this is a connection between programming and logic. And it's very interesting, uh, you could say pretty deep connection. And um, so, as I was saying last time, we were talking about the idea of constructive proof. Because, as I've mentioned several times, the Curry-Howard isomorphism is, was developed initially for constructive logic only. And it has been extended to classical logic, which is something I want to tell you about a little later in this segment, in this chapter. Not this, not today. But, um, so, to understand the Curry-Howard isomorphism, I think the right place to start is to understand it for constructive logic. And that's what it was originally developed for by um, Haskell B. Curry, whose first name will be familiar to functional programmers, and his last name also is, uh, there's a called Curry, uh, and of course a famous language called Haskell, and, um, and William Howard, who's a logician. And so, they're both logicians. And so the, um, we talked last time about constructive proof, and with the constructive proof, when you prove something exists, you actually have to have a concrete value that is the witness of this existential, it's the thing that exists that has whatever property. If you want to say there is a, there exists a flying blue dog, that's all well and good, but you have to actually show me what is this flying blue dog. You know, it's Fido who lives in, you know, Paris or whatever. Um, and, uh, and similarly, if you prove a disjunction, it's either this or that, your proof of the disjunction has to tell you which one of the two cases it really is. Um, and the law of excluded middle, as we talked about last time, is, is a classical, classic and classical case of um, failing to do that. Law of excluded middle just says, hey, any form you want, sure thing, man, it's either true or it's false. And that, of course, is very justifiable in many ways of looking at the world um, for uh, you know, reality and for sort of semantics. But, um, but there's some important situations where that's no good. And one of them is when you need to have um, algorithms for things. We need to have, meth- you know, executable methods of construction. I mean, the early in the early days, sort of before computer science really was born, or in its you know early proto period, there, um, people were thinking about you know you need to have a construction for this, or there should be a method. Um, there's a, a solution to a problem, but these are things that are um, without yet perhaps being able to explain in what sense this is different from a sort of pure mathematical way of doing things, they're really talking about we need to have algorithms. There really needs to be a program somewhere hiding in there for telling you what it is that exists and producing that witness or telling you which of the disjuncts of a disjunction, A or B, is true. There needs to be an algorithm that tells you. Um, And in particular, if you prove things like for every x, there exists a y that satisfies some property. Well, that for all x exists y, inherently in there in a constructive proof, you have a method which, given an x, a particular x, will produce a particular y that satisfies the property. Like, for example, take a really silly example to say something like, for all numbers x, there exists a number y such that y is greater than x. Okay, I mean, that's, I mean, you know, again, this is in the realm of very trivial, not interesting things to prove, but, um, although again, 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 
if you're doing formalized computer check proofs, you may find yourself in a situation that would approve annoying little facts like that. Um, and by the way, I, I'm on my commute here and I'm driving by the Iowa River, and there's an enormous flock of geese here. It's usually um, at this one spot near um, City Park, there's usually quite a few geese. But this winter, for some reason, there's just a huge flock. I must, it might be a thousand birds. They're really, really, really a lot. Anyhow, um, news from Iowa. So, uh, anyhow, um, so to take that example, for all x, there exists a y such that um, y is, let's say y is greater than x. I forgot if I said that wrong at first. That's what I meant to say. y is greater than x. Um, you know, so a constructive proof, given a number x, it's going to give you back a specific number y that satisfies this relation of being greater than x. For example, your constructive proof, you'd say, all right, give me that number x, and the number y I'm going to give you back is just x plus 1. And it's easy for me to show that x plus 1 is greater than x. And so I, I prove my theorem in this constructive way. Of course, there are different constructive proofs of this not terribly interesting lemma, right? You could say, give me number x, and I'm going to give you back um, 1,000 times x, oh, wait a sec, there's a zero case, 1,000 times x plus 1, let's say. You know, so you could pick the, the constructive proof. It's kind of like a specification for your algorithm. I mean, now we're starting to see a connection to programming, right? It doesn't really say exactly what number it is. The existential, I mean, part of the point of using existentials is to abstract and hide some details that you don't really care about or don't wish to reveal for some reason. And so saying for all x, there exists a y. I mean, you know, the, the more, if you didn't want to hide any details, you'd say for all x, 1,000 times x plus 1 is greater than x. You know, there you go. You've, you've been completely explicit what you had in mind in your algorithm. But, um, but here, by using existential, we're saying given an input x, we're going to produce this output y that has the property of being greater than x. And we're not really telling you what that y is except that it's greater than x. So that's, that's a specification, right? A specification just tells you something of what you can expect from the behavior of a program, in this case, an algorithm that's taking in a number and producing another number. But it doesn't tell you everything. Um, I mean, a specification could be completely detailed. Uh, my specification is this program is this. Well, that's fine, but that's not really very interesting. It's, it's better to have a more abstract specification that leaves some things unsaid. And so you can, um, you can satisfy it in different ways. Uh, anyhow, so here we, by talking about constructive proof, it's, you know, you just talk about it a little bit and all of a sudden you're starting to see the Curry-Howard isomorphism. A proof of a for all there exists statement is a function that takes in, you know, for all x there exists y, it takes in x as input and produces a y as output. Um, and so inside that constructive proof, there is, in one way or another, um, a program waiting, you know, hiding there, um, just sitting there minding its own business, I guess we could say. Uh, and and the Curry-Howard isomorphism is was sort of this aha realization that yes, these constructive proofs really we could view them as programs, and similarly we could view certain kinds of programs as constructive proofs. And to some degree, you might say, but this isn't really that exciting. I mean. The way you've said it, it's kind of obvious. If you're saying I proved this constructively, you're sort of saying I've got a program that computes these kind of values, like, for example, existentials from universals. Um, and so what's the big whoop-de-doo? Doesn't that seem pretty clear? It's kind of, well, it does seem pretty clear in retrospect, as, as so many <laughs> interesting ideas do. But um, the, the point about it, though, is that 
we've with the creator isomorphism, we've opened up this interesting bridge between logic and programming. Man, talk about peanut butter and chocolate. I mean, that sounds like a very good idea, and it is. It is because you know by opening this bridge between these two disciplines, ideas on the logic side. You know, it's, it's not just because there's a bridge between the two worlds doesn't mean that the worlds are exactly mirror images of each other as we understand them at the moment. You know, so in our current state of knowledge, we may not have a programming construct that corresponds to a particular logical construct and vice versa. So there's a, once we've con, once we've made this connection between logic and programming, there's this really amazing and fascinating opportunity for information to flow back and forth. Um, across that bridge. And that's exactly the kind of thing that has that happened in, since this, you know, how isomorphism was identified. What do we want to say the date for that identification is? Oh, man, I don't know. You know, the Howard paper that people cite for this, I think, dates from 1980. But this, these ideas were definitely known before that because Paramartin Luff was creating his constructive type theories in the 70s, um, very much based on the idea of the proofs and constructive proofs and functional programs could be identified. So that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, and I we will continue talking about this now for some time. I've reached my destination for the moment. So thank you again for listening. Feel free to hit me up on email or uh, the discussion forum linked from the webpage for the Iowa Type Theory Commute from my homepage.